You're listening to the Aim to Win podcast. I still have a cough. I'm Wade Thomas, and I believe that every one of you has a wealth of potential. So just waiting to come out. And I'm here to help you reach that potential. So now, here's the Aim to Win podcast. Oh, and how do I pronounce your last name? Uh, So it's pretty much the way it's spelled. So three syllables, Wol, Ker, Ling. Okay. Jody, Wol, Ker, Ling. Yeah. Wol, Ker, Ling. Yep. Yeah. All right. If I butcher it, nobody will ever know the difference. Oh, don't worry. You won't be the first. So it's all good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Here we go. Welcome to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and today I'm delighted to have Jody Wokerling on the podcast with me. Jody has decades of experience in the corporate world where she learned that resiliency is a key feature of every enduringly successful individual and every organizational culture that's productive and collaborative over the longer term. She is passionate about assisting businesses to build an enduring resilient culture at the whole culture level, the various levels of leadership within the business, and at the individual level. So the business as a whole and the individuals within the business can experience the enormous benefits of an enduring, resilient culture. She's also the author of World Class Leadership, a book designed to help leaders become all of this. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me as a guest, Wade. So I'd like to get started with one, with one question so that people know who's talking to them. And that is for you to tell your story. How did you get to where you are? Where are you? And maybe where you're going? It's a really good place to start. So I, as you mentioned, I specialize in resilience, sort of both individually leadership and organization-wise. And that largely came out of my own struggles with my own resilience. So I spent most of my working life in the corporate world and was really badly affected by stress. I could do those jobs. But um, doing them came at a large personal cost to health and relationships and that sort of stuff and basically because of stress. And my own path of going, no, this isn't quality of life, I need to do something about it, naturally kind of morphed for me into helping others with the same thing as well. And because I'd spent life in the corporate and sort of saw the patterns there, it morphed into leadership and corporate as well. So it's been almost a natural progression. Excellent. And so now you help people with that. Um, what are some of the biggest causes, you know, what causes the need for resiliency that, you, that you've run across in your work? So do you mean on an individual level or on a organizational level? Sure. Either. Uh, okay. For both. so on a um, individual level basically stress has become so common in society that people get to the point where they don't really even realize they're stressed so a lot of my work with individuals is around them becoming really aware of their own stress and working through with them how to manage that and how to do things in their life that Um, reduce the impact of that on their life so they can better manage what comes up in their life and do it with the the quality of life aspect um, associated. So that's individually. From an organisational point of view, um, yeah, there are things that happen within businesses that create stress for staff and create aggravation and 
strangely as it is, it often creates things like lack of productivity and staff turnover and that sort of stuff. So things that are bad for the individuals, but also bad for the businesses as well. So one of the one of the most common ones and the ones that's actually a little bit of a, um, a catchphrase that people talk about at the moment, but it, it, talking about it and addressing it are very different things, is psychological safety. So that's around um, a environment in the workplace where people feel safe to um, try new things learn new things, um, put their hand up and admit they don't know something or they need help, um, suggest ideas that may be different to what the powers that be think. Um, basically, if there's not that psychological safety, people don't step outside of traditionally, some people do, but most people, they won't step outside comfort zones. They'll go in safety mode of what can I do that is safe for me, not innovative, more productive collaborative, that sort of stuff. So it's a lot more of a protective kind of cover your back culture, not a culture for productivity and adjusting to the times and that sort of stuff. So psychological safety is a big one, but gosh, there's there's lots of them. Things like um, people feeling that they're not supported and cared for is a huge one. Such a simple basic, but if your staff don't feel that the powers that be actually care about them, um, that has an enormous impact for the individual and also for the for the business. So that's just two of them, but there's lots of them. Yeah, absolutely. So looking at the organization, how, how can an organization tell they have a problem? What are some of the signs? Really good point. So I look at it from a qualitative and a quantitative point of view. So if we take quantitative, there are key measures that businesses normally know that if they really look at it, they can tell. One of the obvious ones is things like staff turnover. So if your staff are not happy and they feel that they are in a position to walk and go somewhere else, they generally will. Um, so if you've got staff, a large percentage of staff who've been with the business for five plus years and aren't actively looking, that's a pretty good sign they're happy. Um, whereas if you um, have a business where half of your staff turn over every year, it's a pretty big red flag. So there's that um, basic things like how they're going with their numbers and their profitability. Because as I said, if staff are happy, they are productive and collaborative and innovative. So that generally goes through to the bottom line and through to profitability. So the general, how the business is doing is a big indicator. Um, there's also indicators that, that organisations can do in themselves. So things like engagement surveys and that sort of stuff. I treat those with a grain of salt because if people don't feel safe, they're not honest in them. Um, so that's just an idea. And then there's there's qualitative stuff. So that's things like um, just walking around and, and taking kind of a snapshot of how people interact with each other and um, whether people are smiling and happy or they look grumpy or that, that non non-quantitative stuff that is really quite quite key. And there's all sorts of other things that you can find out by really having those, those in-depth conversations with staff as well. So I love that, by the way. You know, I love, you, know you can really tell a lot just from walking around and looking at how people are. But, Absolutely. But most of the world now, or much of the world now, is dealing with the work at home. 
And, and how do you, how do you really gauge what's going on with your people when they're at home? It's, it's a, a really timely question at the moment because you're, you're absolutely right. It makes it a lot harder when, when you're working from home um, as a boss to actually really find out how your staff are doing. So I guess that's where the leaders need to really make a more obvious, concerted effort towards it. So things like having those regular check-ins to see how they're doing, um, consciously picking up on those cues. So if we're sitting on a Zoom um, and there may be things going on, somebody may look a little bit flustered, they may, as a matter of course, turn their camera off or when they turn it on there's, there's politics around that but anyway if they if they because of um i don't not feeling comfortable or whatever turn their camera off there are indicators they're just nowhere near as obvious as if somebody's face to face but it's really when the um the leaders really need to make a concerted effort to address it find out yeah um so weekly check-ins, um, all those things that I mentioned before, you can still do. It's just a different way of doing it. You have to be intentional about it, right? Yes, absolutely. You're not going to run into them in a the hallway anymore. But so you have to have plan. You have to plan the meetings and and do the check-ins. Very good. Yep. <clears throat> so you know, as as a leader, you know, I start seeing these signs, whether it be a bunch of grumpy people or whether it be huge turnover numbers. You know big drop in productivity, whatever it might be, what are some of the first steps I should take? The first take is find out, the first step, sorry, is to find out exactly what's going on. So um, sometimes leaders will get an idea that, that things aren't great and they'll start initiatives and those initiatives don't actually hit the mark of what the problem is. And then it doesn't fix it. So the first step is actually really taking the time to find out what is going on. So again, that qualitative and quantitative analysis, talk to the staff who are at all levels of the business to find out what's going on and then create a plan and, and follow that up and, and make changes accordingly. Um, if you guess what's going on or if you just kind of put Band-Aid solutions there, it's not going to hit the mark and it's not going to fix the issues that are there. Yeah. So getting, getting down to the root is a big deal. Absolutely. Yeah. The, um, <clears throat> do you see in, in your work, do you see organizations that um, maybe they're fooling themselves? You know, maybe All the time. Yeah. So, <laughs> All the time. So what, if you're a leader, <laughs> yeah, I do too. If you're a leader in one of those organizations but, you know, your bosses are, nah, it's just a market or it's just a season or whatever it is. What can you do to kind of, you know, help the organization see that they have an issue that needs to be resolved? It's a really good point. You can start to do some of these things um, yourself of actually gathering information. Um, unfortunately, though, we can, there's only so much influence that we can do. So you can create information, work out what actually, what's the basis of your, your powers that be in the organisations, what's the basis for them making their decisions? Is it um, profitabilities? Uh, are they numbers person and people and only look at the numbers? So work out what actually makes them think and find out ways to actually give them information that, that corresponds 
with that um, a lot of the time. And it actually can also help to, to bring in outside consultants or an outside set of eyes because, unfortunately, sometimes in businesses um, the powers that be will that new set of eyes and that new person coming in as the expert will have a little bit more uptake than the everyday person. And that's a really unfortunate thing, but it is often the case. So it's work out ways that you can raise awareness and have them take responsibility that something's an issue and take steps to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really good advice. So what you said something really early on that, that really intrigued me. And, um, you know, a lot of times we don't necessarily recognize or admit to ourselves as individuals that we have stress. You know, so how as individual people can we notice that we actually have stress and maybe force ourselves to admit it if we do notice? It's it's a really good question because it's gotten, as I said, so common that people don't realize. So there are various signs and no one thing will give you an indication. So it's often sort of a mixture of things. So People who are stressed will quite often have issues with sleeping, so upset sleeping patterns. They will feel um, on edge and often difficult to relax. Um, They will quite often not have that work-life balance where there's fun things that they do outside of work that give them joy and and, joy. make 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 life a happy kind of experience um your body will generally give you signs so for me um when i was particularly stressed when i reached that really critical point i was having major issues with the shoulder and shoulders are a common one for stress um it's like that whole keep taking the weight of the world on your shoulders so if you actually tune into the signs in your body it will tell you a lot of people have digestive issues um, when they're stressed. So their body will actually tell them if they they tune in. And it will generally do things like unfortunately affect, affect relationships and how you emotionally respond to situations. Um, the, the people who are stressed will often, unfortunately, and, and guilty, guilty like anybody else, have situations where they've responded in an emotional way they, where they look back later and go, that wasn't ideal. Um, so there's there's no one particular sign, but there's kind of a mesh of, of signs that, that can help people alert themselves that, yeah, it's, it's, it's not great. And just general, am I happy? Yeah. So what should somebody do when they do see these signs and these symptoms? So I generally find that... Um, when I work with people, there's three levels that that this is the most effective way to work with people at. And the first level is if someone's feeling stressed, teach them ways that they can bring themselves back to calm as quickly as possible. So the phys- the the stress response is large, largely physiological. There's mental there, but there's a physiological thing that happens in your body. So a lot of these things will trick the physiology to bring you back to calm you're basically telling the body i'm not in a life or death situation everything's safe it's it's great to go on so simple things like teaching people belly breathing exercises and that sort of stuff can make an enormous difference and they're really quite simple 
The second level is there's lifestyle things that can make a huge difference that I work with with people on. So that's, I mentioned sleep earlier. Um, sleep, diet and exercise are the, the basic three, but there's all sorts of other, other ones around helping people with things like a meditation or a yoga practice to bring them back to that calm centered state. Um, mindfulness, um, having ways that they can process emotions and actually move them move them on and and process them so that they can move move beyond the negative effect of them so that's there's a lot of lifestyle things that can make a huge difference and the third side people like myself or was myself who who have stress as a a fairly constant major impact in their life there's usually underlying things in there so that's the subconscious things that people are usually not aware of that make a real difference. So a common one, which is what I had as well, is perfectionism. So this idea in the back of my mind, whether I'm conscious of it or not, that if I don't do things perfectly or do them to a really high standard, it's not good enough and I'm not good enough. That's a stress cycle in itself. So there's normally unconscious things. So making people conscious of them and working with them so that they're not a, a serious repeated issue. Yeah. Excellent. Those are excellent kind of remedial steps. Um, one of the things that, you know, both of us work in a lot, but you in particular have done a lot of work with is resilience. And um, how, how should anybody go about building up resilience so that when the stress happens, they're able to, you know, move past it as opposed to trying to fix the damage later. Yeah, so it basically goes back to those three levels that I mentioned. Um, learning to recognise in yourself and bring yourself back to calm when it happens. Um, and that can be simple things like, I realise I'm, I'm stressed, I'm just going to say, give me five minutes, and then they walk away for five minutes to calm themselves. It can be as simple as that. So recognise it, do things in the moment to bring yourself back to calm work on those lifestyle things that make an enormous difference. Um, so things like diet, for a lot of people, whether they realise or not, high sugar diets actually set them on a cycle. And it's a very individual thing, diet. Um, really working on those things to work out what's actually going to make a difference for me. Um, and then if there's still an issue, work on those subconscious underlying things, which often go back to childhood. They're, they're usually not new new things that have developed in somebody's personality. So, so you're suggesting that, you know, my work around of just pounding chocolate when I'm stressed is might be counterproductive. <laughs> well, in the short term, in the short term, it's probably not a problem, but in the long term, and if it's a repeated, especially high volume response, yeah, probably not the best. <laughs> so going back to uh, the, corp the organization level, you know, you talked about psychological safety. You know, what is important for a leader to do to kind of create that environment of psychological safety for their employees? Yeah, it's a really good point because it's not something that generally happens by default. One of the things a leader can do is actually really be authentic in themselves. So if they are not sure or if they are... Um, not feeling great or whatever, really actually own that and, and, and tell your people because you're creating this thing of it's okay to not be perfect. It's okay um, to voice when something is 
not easy or you're looking for extra help. Um, and leaders can do things like when they actually ask for extra help. This I've heard Simon Sinek mention this a few times. When they ask for extra help or they're asking for impact, they zip and don't give their own opinion first. So they're basically looking for the genuine ideas of people rather than the ideas that are going to meet what they've already heard from their leader. So create that atmosphere where people are taught, people can feel open to talk. And when they do actually come out and express ideas, even if, even if you think that it's not going to work for whatever reason, really um, give them positive feedback for taking the, the effort, the time and the um, sometimes the, the um, courage to actually come out and voice it. So give them positive feedback, even just for them doing it, even if you don't think what they're saying is going to work, because that creates a momentum of it's a, it's a safe thing to actually, to actually talk and to actually give, give opinions and, and ideas. And then when somebody does mess up, because we're human, it does happen. How you respond to that makes a huge difference as well. If you respond to somebody in a really negative way and a way that puts them down or makes them feel unsafe, other people won't just affect that person, it will affect other people who see it as well. So that's just a... Yeah, sorry, hey. I was, oh, sorry. <laughs> might have to edit that bit. Um, I was going to say that's just a few ideas of how to create psychological safety. Yeah, and um, how you handle mistakes, that's a big one. And, uh, and that's a tough one, I think, for a lot of leaders to wrap their mind around. And, um, and some mistakes, you know, I think there's different kinds of mistakes. There's mistakes that are fairly intentional and, uh, you know, where they should have known better. And then there's mistakes that are from innovation. How... How do you handle those different types with a leader? It comes back a lot of the time to helping. So as a coach, if I was working with that leader, helping that leader in how to respond to it, how to stay in a good state themselves and how to actually have that conversation with the staff member. Um, so it, it often the way that they'll act will depend, as you said, things like what's the size of it? Is it a repeating issue? Is this something that I've already said to this person 10 times and it's like, yeah, it, it's not changing. So the leaders need to really have that um, that connection, that conversation over a long period of time with those staff members to work out, well, what actually is the problem? I mean, it may well be if somebody's made the mistake 10 times that they don't actually understand it and they don't feel safe to put up their hand and go, I actually really don't get this. Or it could be that person is having marital issues at home and their mind isn't on their job. Or it could be any number of other things. The only way you find that out is to have that, that connection with the staff, that trust where they can have a conversation where they are authentic. Um, and then whatever is the, the main issue, work with them to address it. And in some cases that doesn't work straight away. So it's a trial and error work with it over time case. There is also... On the flip side of it, sometimes, and it is, if the culture's good, it is rare, um, but there are some incidents where 
people may not have the best of intent or may not be really taking the care with their um, their staff and their organisation and, and their job to actually really address that on a very serious level with the um, with the staff member and go, is this really where you want to be? Um, and these conversations are very delicate and you have to be very careful with them. But when something is bad and doesn't seem to be able to be addressed within the organisation, have that authentic conversation with the staff member. Um, and it may well be the best option for everybody is for them to move on. It may well not be. That's excellent. And, um, you know, if you handle it that way and you get this perception of fairness, it, it has a positive impact on the psychological safety for everybody else, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's the, that's the important thing to remember is I think psychological safety is very individualized, but also it, it comes for a group too, right? There's two different elements to it. All right, excellent stuff. Excellent stuff today. I have one more question to kind of get you out on, and that is, how do people find you? Really good place to 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 ask. So um, the best way is actually on my website, which is uh, I, I'm assuming in the show notes you'll have the spelling of my name. It's just jodywalkling.com. In there, you can find out all sorts of information about what I do, um, and I've got a whole series of blogs and and videos and that sort of stuff in there as well. Uh, I'm also very active on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn, if you search my name on LinkedIn, um, there's a fair bit of information on there as well. How do they get a hold of the book? Go to the website. Then there's there's um, a, a fairly obvious page on the website of how to actually find out how to get it. Excellent. And, and we will indeed link all that up in the show notes. Um, I won't attempt to spell your last name. Um, so we'll get we'll that in the notes for everybody. Well, thank you for coming on today. You know, I think it's very timely material and something that we're all really dealing with in our organizations and our personal lives. But thanks for coming on. Beautiful. Thank you so much for having me as a guest, Wade. And thank you for listening to the Aim Twin podcast. As always, remember to follow us wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. And you can follow me on LinkedIn as well. Mm-hmm.